Hey y'all, how y'all doing? In today's episode, I sit down with my longtime friend, Crystal Scott. We have a real good conversation about Crystal's journey to unexpected motherhood. She became a mom 16 years ago when circumstances in her family allowed her to become an involuntary mother when she adopted her niece. Crystal gives a candid depiction of what it is like going from being the cool, fun auntie to the disciplinarian. Stay tuned and enjoy. On this segment today, I just wanted to let you all know that I recorded this episode in Texas, in my hometown, and I recorded it a week ago, um, well, about two weeks ago, and then the week it was supposed to drop, we had a snowstorm, which many of you heard about, Snowbit 19 or Snowpocalypse, um, and so I'm dropping it this week, um, a little bit on time. But also after a really treacherous week of snow that we are not used to, weather we're not used to, um, power outages and um, pipes bursting all over the city. Now, I cannot lie. I've been very fortunate in that I didn't have all of that, but some of my family went through that. But what I did go through was we made it through the week, but by Friday, my uncle passed away. So I found it very timely, I guess you would say, that he passed away the week this episode would drop because I'm talking about aunts stepping in where a mother should have. And I had, and and forgive me if I'm rambling, but I want to just speak straight from the heart growing up I did know my dad he was a part of my life but I also had five uncles my mother had five brothers and they were my dads they helped raise me I saw them day to day and within the last I'll say since 2013 I have lost all of my uncles but one my uncle Marvin Marvin was the last holdout. He and my mom, she had an older sister. They were the only ones left living. And so even though Marvin and I, we had our words, we would fight. (laughs) And um, because he was very stubborn and I'm very stubborn too, but he was always around and he was there to raise me and pretty much was part of my village. He was one of my dads. So... I am dropping this episode and recording this introduction somewhat um, in a state of sadness and grief because you don't really realize how important people are to you sometimes until they are gone. And I say that to say this, um, of course, I knew Marvin all my life. However, I didn't really know much about it. He was very quiet, kept to himself. He was a workaholic. Um, But I just always took it for granted that he would always be here, even though he was 83. Just being the baby of the family, in my mind, I guess everybody is going to be here forever because my grandmother lived so long. 
And I just always took it for granted that Marvin would be around. I did know that he was a cowboy. He worked in the stockyards that we have here in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, he loved snuff. He always told me three a day keeps the doctor away. And that's not apples. Those were beers. <laughs> he loved cowboy hats and he loved walking. He walked every day and he loved the penny machines. He played the penny arcades at the corner store. Um, but other than that, Marvin pretty much kept to himself. He would give you whatever you needed, but he wrote it down in a book. If you owed him money, he would let you know, you know, you owe me, right? <laughs> I'll never forget that. So, but he always gave, he never turned you down. At least he never turned me down. And so I just always took it for granted that he will always be there. And knowing that now with this episode about people stepping up and stepping in your life to help rear you, build you up, help you become the person you are in life, we have to give more homage to our people in our surrounding village our aunts our uncles our friends our mimas our neighbors all of those people who help us grow up and become the people we are you know our parents are our parents and they're gonna be here and they love us most of them some parents you know drop the ball as you will hear in this episode but for the most part our parents you know they hold it down but they hold it down with uh with a bevy of people who help them hold their arms up in the battle of parenthood and raising children and i say that to say i appreciated my uncles more than anybody would ever know i think i had five people to make the perfect man <laughs> you know one uncle was athletic and fun and one uncle was a workaholic and another uncle was an activist and my uncle Clyde you know don't sit down at a talk table with him because he's gonna take your money and then there was Marvin the cowboy so all of the and then one uncle was a preacher so all of those people all of those men gave me a holistic picture of black manhood and I will never never forget it and I will never take it for granted again. So if you have someone in your life who has filled in that role, just tell them thank you. And just as a society, let's just look around to the people in our village and let them know how much we love, value, and appreciate them. R.I.P. Marvin, we're going to miss you down here. Love you. Sign your favorite homegirl. Hey, Crystal. Hey, T-Cast. <laughs> How you doing? Good. How been was a while. Week? I know. It's good to see you. <laughs> Man, it's been crazy. Uh, I had a headache for three days and I couldn't shake. I finally got rid of it a little bit. Yeah, man. And it was just serious. But other than that, man, I'm good. You didn't have COVID, did you? You know they say. Nah, that. man, I ain't. You know what? Thank, thankfully, no. That's no, good. I ain't got it. And to my knowledge, I ain't been around nobody who had it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> How right? you enjoying this weather? I'm indifferent about the cold. I don't like it because I can't move around to, you know, I got to put on a bunch of clothes. And But, you know, 
we at home anyway, so that's true. Yeah. Some people live in their best life though. They not they haven't quarantined or nothing. <laughs> you're right. You're right. People so just maybe, still wilding. So maybe it's the Lord's way of saying, get somewhere and sit down. <laughs> and ain't none of them listening though. Oh, well, to my listeners, today on my show, I have my friend Crystal Scott. <laughs> I've been knowing Crystal, woo, it's been a Damn. long time, 15 years or so. You know what? I, it, yeah. Yeah, about yeah. 15, 20 Early years. 2000s. Yeah. Early 2000s. Yeah, I met you. I can't remember exactly how. I know it's through a weeder, but it was like, you showed up and you stayed. <laughs> Of like you the little sister of the group. <laughs> Cause you like yep, what, pretty much. Ten years younger yeah, than us? I think yeah, I think the great the largest gap is ten years. Yeah, but you were uh it didn't feel that way because you carried yourself like you were our age. You were in your twenties, we were in our thirties. <laughs> so it was just like, okay, girl, come on. <laughs> right? Yeah, hey, I was old enough to hang. There you go. Listen, that's all that matters. <laughs> I hopefully we didn't uh, spoil you or lead you down the wrong path too bad. <laughs> nah, man, my sister said I already did that before y'all got to me, so. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, that's why you can hang out. I was already hanging out with her, you know, in college. Yeah, that's how I knew what to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, today I brought you on the show. First, I guess I should let let you tell people who you are and what you do. Give them, uh, um, let them know what you want them to know, because I might reveal too much. Okay. Well, my name is Crystal Scott. I am in the finance industry. Um, I've been in finance since I was 18, and I got my first corporate job when I was 18. And I've been doing it ever since. I went from um, back office sales to compliance. At one point, they had created a position for me. Uh, so now I'm going into fraud and financial forensics. So um, it's been pretty cool. That's dope. What would um fraud fraud and financial forensics? What does that entail? Um, people who commit financial fraud, like you know, companies that uh, embezzle money, uh, people that embezzle money from their companies, uh, people that commit fraudulent bankruptcies, uh, funnel money through you know shell companies and businesses and stuff like that. That should be interesting. I might have to have you back to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, I feel just really like a snitch. I really feel like, you know, I'm just going into corporate snitching, which, you know, I mean, it happens though. But it, you know, when you drill down to it though, um, a lot of poor and unfortunate people suffer because of corporate corruption. So it's it's a little bit different for me, the reason why I wanted to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up, um, my position right now, I deal with elder financial abuse. So when people take advantage of elderly people for their money, um, through our company, I investigate those situations and, you know, snitch, you know, call the police, call the dope protective <laughs> services. That's what I do. But that's good though. You know, it is because if they're gonna, if there is a target, it's usually the elderly, especially now, because with the internet and stuff like that yep. they don't know like i had to, so many scams my mama <laughs> somebody called her one day and i we had to change everything her bank account because you know she picked up the phone they were like well you need to give us this she thought she had won the publisher's clearinghouse i was like ma'am 
No man. And I've had one of those. My favorite ones are sweetheart scams. The people that call be like, I'm in the military, I ain't got nobody, you know, and they end up like, hey, this is my lover. He's going to move me to Zimbabwe and I got to send him this money first. Oh, no. Like, man. Yeah, man. I've had somebody, I think the largest amount somebody's gotten off with is maybe like a half a million. Woo. My God. Yeah. And how much time they get for that? Do you um, get to find I don't that? I don't follow the prosecution of it. Um in some states, uh believe it or not, some states don't even have uh, a prosecution for uh financial elder abuse. Is Texas one of them? <laughs> I guess I shouldn't ask. No, you, you know what it. Texas actually does. It, you know what most most states down south do because you okay. know it's a lot of old old money down here. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of uh legislation pushes for criminal penalties for that but um believe it or not it it really takes a long time to prosecute somebody especially the online scams because they don't know who these people are but usually believe it or not the people they do catch up with live Mm -hmm. right in the house with them they family members oh wow i can see that too kids grandkids and mostly kids but kids and grandkids and and home health care workers Oh wow, that's crazy! <laughs> yeah, man, it it gets, it gets crazy sometimes. It's like you know, I'm the only person in my company that does it. So mm-hmm. if I'm getting stuff like back to back, you know, it, it it could be some busy days, and um, sometimes I it's crickets, it's nothing. Usually during the times when it's nothing, I just you know I'm studying or taking some classes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, man, it be on and popping. No people be on it. <laughs> you know, I need to get you a back background clearance have you talked to, <laughs> to my kids <laughs> where i work <laughs> like hey there are people who will catch you <laughs> oh yeah and, and if it's something that i feel like is egregious enough and it has my attention enough man i will pursue it i mean you know the, the network of people is big it's like you know I, I work with people that go all the way from the department of justice to attorney generals uh they'll get on you man if if somebody pushes hard enough you know mm-hmm. they'll find you well, that's interesting. I, I'm going to have to bring you back to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> but today I brought you on the show to talk about your unexpected journey to motherhood. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I should say briefly, and then I'll let you tell your story. You became a mother unexpectedly. You have adopted your niece. Yes. Right. Uh, can I say her name? It's Yolanda, right? Yolandia. Yolandia. Because I just say yo. Yeah, and that's what she goes by. Yo. <laughs> yo. And so I wanted, I just thought it might be an interesting um, story to share your experience to help someone else. So tell us um, your story. How did you become a mother? Well, um, it, it all happened really fast. But um, so my sister is I'm eight years older than me. And um, a little while, so I also have an older nephew. Him and my uh, niece are 20 years apart. So he lived with his dad his his, his entire life. He lived with his dad. And at a certain point, uh, we noticed that my sister started kind of, you know, behavior changed. And we noticed that, okay, you know what? She's using drugs. So um, the drug use got heavy. And at the time, we didn't really know, like, where, no, where I came from. Like, you know, we grew up in the same house. And so, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, how she go this way, you go that way. Um, there were already some problems because my sister started running away I think when I was in the second grade and um I I don't think like unfortunately in the black household when you know behavior issues are responded to 
you with either corporal punishment or you go live with another relative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for a while, I think my sister went to live with her dad for a while or maybe for the summers or whatever she came back. But um, fast forward to when she became an adult, you know, the running away kind of transferred into, hey, I ain't got to run away now. I'm grown. Whatever I'm dealing with, I'm going to, you know, deal with these drugs with it. So um, it just got real, real bad. And so um, she was like, you all haven't been given an opportunity to be responsible. You know, her son went to live with his, you know, his, his dad, you know, pretty much was like, look, you know, my son needs to be raised by men. So. I'm going to take him. So she really hadn't had to be responsible for the first kid she had. And I felt like if she was given an opportunity, she would have done it. Well, you know, my mama saw otherwise. So she took custody of her and so for a while, her and my daddy was taking care of my niece. My mom got sick and we learned she had lung cancer in like October of 2008. Um, during the time that she was sick though, I, I was already like getting my niece. Like she was with me kind of like most of the time anyway. When a little while after she was born, I had to make a decision, you know, for myself and dealing with the whole back and forth and the police and all these episodes. You know, I told my mom, I told everybody in my family, I was like, look, I gotta make a choice. It's either gonna be her or the kids. I chose the kids. And so I'm like, hey, I, I, my niece and my nephew, I got them no matter what they need. I'm here for them. My niece, I got full custody of her. You on your own though. Because <laughs> I had to make a choice because I can't save everybody. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much how everything kind of like became, hey, boom, you're mom now. <laughs> <laughs> so your sister's still alive? Yeah. Okay. I for, for some reason I thought she had passed away, but she's still alive. So um how was your when when you finally fully adopted her when your mom passed? <sighs> My mom she was three years old. So and you um had- yeah, she doesn't she doesn't remember much about uh my mama. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, kind of sad to me a little bit cuz I was like, man, you know, th- them were the times, man. You were living your best life cuz granny let you do whatever you want. <laughs> so does she um cuz oh, that threw me off. I, I I don't know why I thought your sister had passed away. What was the adoption process like? Have you adopted her fully or have I stopped. So I stopped. So we got a lawyer and went through the whole adoption process up to a certain point of when I learned that if I adopt her, she will forfeit any of my sister's social security, any benefits that my sister has. Mm -hmm. She will forfeit all of that because she legally becomes my child. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that to happen. And the second thing was, I knew that we would have to go to court. And I didn't want the state to rip my sister apart about something we already knew was was an issue. Um, and nobody was challenging me having my niece. So I was like, I'm not gonna put my family through that. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's trying to take you away from me. I'm not gonna mess up your benefits. It's like at this point, um, your, you know, my sister's dad was a military vet. You could have benefits and go to school from that. So I don't want to mess that up for her. But more than anything, I didn't want to put my sister on the stand for the state to try to fight her for something that, you know, she, she's already been right. through. You know, we already know what's wrong. We, we ain't got to go to court for this. So, you know, I stopped. I was like, hey, I, I'm financially stable. I can take care of you. We're not struggling. You know, I, I got help, you know what I'm saying, from family and friends. So, hey, forget it. <laughs> I feel, I'm backtrack a little bit. So when you realized you were going to have to take a full time, how did you feel? Was there any anger, resentment, guilt, sadness? 
You know what? what I don't think it? I had time to really think about that because at the time that that realization was going on, I also realized that I was losing my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really have an opportunity to be like, you know, well, now for that, you have to be somebody's mama. It was more like, you know, now I'm not going to have my mama. So that was more of a shock to me. And because I had to do so much by myself, like, you know, preparing my mother's service and cleaning out her house, like me and my daddy had to do a lot of that and um, taking care of bills and financial stuff. It was just so much that I really didn't even have time to sit down and realize, like, you finna be somebody's mama, like, <laughs> you know, I didn't, full time, like, this isn't a, hey, you can give them back, you can spoil them and take them back, you know, I, I really didn't even have time to think about that. Mm-hmm. Do you think losing, or how do you think losing your mother, um, in the way that you did, with her having, yo, and, you know, basically passing her on to you, how do you think that impacted how you parent, yo, right now, or um, in the process over the years? I'm not sure if my mother's death has anything to do with how I parent her. I think um, I parent from from two veins, survival and um, tradition. Mm-hmm. And um, death is something I, I, I kind of always knew that um, I would lose my mother, not necessarily young, but... Um, prior to my mother getting lung cancer, she had to have a full hysterectomy. And at that time, her um, her OBGYN told her that she had to stop smoking. She said, if you don't stop smoking, you're going to die. She never mentioned cancer or anything, but she was like, if you don't stop smoking, pretty much you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And my mother ended up with a COPD. Um, so she couldn't really breathe very well, but she continued to smoke. Um, my mother drank too. So, um, it wasn't to alcoholic levels, but it was unhealthy, you know, Mm -hmm. levels. It wasn't helping her. So I, you know, parenting her, it it just not saying that it didn't have an effect or, you know, um, I'm not conscious of it. I'll put it like that. Okay. Um, did your, um, well, she was three. So I, I was going to ask, did the dynamic change between from auntie niece to mom daughter? A little bit, a little bit. And I tell her that now because, um, it, it, it bothers me that I have to be the disciplinarian because I, I want, I was a fun aunt, you know, I was a fun aunt at, at a certain point. I was like, you can ask your brother, man, I was fun. I wasn't always like this, but I had to change gears and I had to explain that to her. Like, you know, um, I don't get to just come and get you, you know, to go shopping on your birthdays and, uh, you know, all this stuff on the weekends. I have to be here for all of it. So that, that really hurt my feelings that I couldn't be fun aunt anymore. It's like, well, damn, you know, <laughs> that was my thing. <laughs> So it, it changed a little bit, a little bit on that. I feel you. So like, what's, is there a relation? Does she have a relationship with her mother? How are you able to manage that, the dynamic between you, your sister and yo? She's not, she does not have a relationship with her and it's not for lack of, um, you know, I don't prevent it at all. Even with my nephew, you know, I've always told him and I tell my nieces, your mama loves you very much. And I didn't know then what I know now, which is my sister has some mental health issues and she's treating that with street drugs. And it's gotten to the point where now is that 
Um, my sister has been to mental hospitals and it's either they give you pharmaceutical drugs or you treat it with street drugs. And as far as her having a relationship with my niece, I always tell my niece, look, your mama loves you. She just doesn't know how to manage a, a stable life. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that means that that would be dangerous for you if you were involved in it. So when she calls, she, I let her talk to her. You know, she that doesn't change. It's like, hey, I don't keep you from talking to her. I don't make her talk to her at all either, but I don't keep her from doing so at all either. Does she have like questions? Does she ever come to you with questions about what happened? Why? You know, not especially really, as a teenage girl. Not really. And I think it's because I've always been open with her. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as she was able to understand, I explained the situation to her because we have a very large family. And one of the things I even remind her now is that I never want her to be among family members and somebody says something to her about her mother that she didn't know. And I've always been open with her about that. Like, hey, if you want to know anything, you can come to me and ask me. I'm not going to lie to you. But I had to, I felt like I owed her the honesty of telling her everything because nobody want to be blindsided about something that they were supposed to know about, you know, they mama, you know. Like a Tyler Perry movie. Exactly. So, yeah, I've always been honest with her about that. And, I, and I've always reminded her, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about. You know, trust me, everybody got some dysfunction in their family somewhere. So if, if somebody else is trying to come down on you for it, it's like screw mm-hmm. them. They skeletons just hadn't fallen out yet. Right. What's a relationship like with her brother since, you know, they're being raised in two different households? Man, her brother hung the moon, let her tell it. She loves him, man. And I'm I'm so happy that they have that. Um he 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 loves her you know I mean she has a really good relationship with him and um I didn't know it but at, at some point you know he was trying to like you know give it give it a ropes on being a teenager and kind of dealing with me because apparently I need to be dealt with but uh you know he he's really good with her and I actually I, I love that you know that, that she she loves her big brother to death and that that joke hung the moon let her tell it <laughs> I do have a question we talk about in my I guess where I, especially where I work now, we talk about a lot about how trauma impacts a child's brain development and really how that might affect their education. Have you noticed any um, challenges with her education or learning um, due to the situation? Can you go into that? Do you mind talking about it? Yes. So um, when she was in kindergarten, probably maybe kindergarten, second grade at the most, I noticed that she has a, like an auditory delay. Okay. So if she hears something, um, she may ask you to repeat it or like her nervous system is um, that of a, a very scary person. So right now I could be in the same room with her. And if I clap my hands real loud, she might jump, even though she saw me do it. Um, then I noticed that, and I don't know if this has anything to do with my sister, but she's also dyslexic. I, I, I learned that when she was in the first grade, I was like, man, she's writing her E's and threes and S's and fives. I look the same. And so, um, I, you know, I told them, I was like, y'all gonna test my baby because, you know, something is up here. And so they did, and they found out she was dyslexic. They checked her hearing and everything and said everything was okay with her hearing. Um, but, um, the, the auditory, um, distraction is, it's not, 
uh, enough to be a problem, but it's also noticeable. So sometimes um, when she was smaller, she had to wear head covers whenever she read. Um, reading was was really hard to to get you know hold you know get her um, to get a grasp on um, because she's so easily distracted. Anything will startle her out of her focus. So that's definitely been a challenge. But I mean, she's learned how to like maneuver all of that. Like I mean, she's gotten a whole lot better with it. Um, it, it was hard at first, man. It, it was mm. hard. Man, ain't, ain't nothing like trying to teach somebody how to do something that you already know how to do. <laughs> Put your name on the paper. <laughs> right, right, right. Trust me, I understand. Man, we, we got to go in um, an inside joke in the family because this, this used to be this book that we would read to her. And one of the, it was a short book and it was like, Mad is Sad. And this was during the time we were struggling with the dyslexia. And it was like, she would read everything the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And we were like, Matt is sad. Just say what we said. Matt is sad. <laughs> and she wouldn't say it. She would say it a different way. And it was just like, oh my God. So every time she does something, we're like, look, Matt is sad. Matt is sad. Okay, <laughs> get it right. <laughs> oh, I love it. You, we were uh, in a group chat the other day. You going off on that uh, about the girl with the gorilla glue. <laughs> so what other challenges <laughs> do you face raising a teenage daughter? This is your um, rant. <laughs> social media is really like my my uh, social media and uh, cell phones. Um, we uh, thankfully I had an opportunity of being a child without a cell phone, and that meant go outside to play, go ride your bike, go ride on the concrete with the chalk, <laughs> go foot race without your shoes on. It was so much stuff I did as a kid that I loved that didn't involve a cell phone. So fast forward twenty years. We got cell phones and it's like, I remember I used to stay at home by myself and let myself in. I had a key to the house, you know, all that and that changed. And then there's social media and um, it's so hard to filter for social media. And um, I have, I put a time limit on social media and technology. It's like at a certain time, look, you gotta be off of all electronics. And it's uh, for a teenager, she's about to be 16. So for a teenager, that's, that's a little hard to deal with. And um, one of the things I have to lead by example too, um, I'm not on Facebook. I've never had a Facebook account. When I found out that I had to have a personal page in order to have a business page, I just got, man, I look like that little meme where that man throw all his papers around. I was just mad because I was like, it shouldn't be this hard to not be on social media. So um, I try to teach her as much as I can, but for the most part, social media um, puts a lot of pressure on our kids to, to be something that they are not. Mm-hmm. And um, I hate that, especially for our young black girls, because there's so much they don't understand how much fakeness is out there. We've seen the reality of it. They we've seen we know that the wizard is behind the curtain. You know, it ain't him. You know, we know it's somebody else. And they don't really get that. And they just want to be liked. They want to be loved. They want to be popular. And they they watch all these other people's do other people do these things to gain popularity and to to gain the social status and get all these likes and i fight so hard with that to let her know that it's not real mm-hmm. it's not real because all of these people on the other side of the screen you saw a backdrop you know you saw uh the bad wild challenge this joker was not <laughs> he doesn't have you know it's like no, seriously none of this plane. stuff is, is really real for a lot of these people so how so that, do that, you... for the most part that's it how do you encourage her and help build up herself? Because working with kids, that is a, a huge issue. And I think I've been in education now for at least two, 
two uh, generations, like the millennials and now the zillennials. <laughs> and it's still, it's just different forms of validation, but they still seek it in different ways. And you're right. We did get those opportunities to mess up away right. from everybody watching and our parents, you know, for us, it was, for me, it was MTV and trying and you know, our parents saying, no, get away from the TV, go outside, <laughs> right. play, you know, yeah. those people are, they're celebrities. They get paid to do that. And these kids are constantly inundated with just stuff. And it's hard as an educator, at least building them up. So as a parent, what are some things that you do to help encourage her to just love herself as she is? Um, lead by example. I, I knew that it was gonna gonna be a lot of stuff that I had to change. I mean, I wasn't like wilding out, but I knew that um my my single lady routine wasn't gonna work raising a, a little girl so um one of the one of the best things I, I i was able to do was the company that i worked for before this company i was able to take her to work with me okay. and um during spring break and holiday break thanksgiving break she was at work with me and she saw a professional environment because this is this is what happens for parents you know what i'm saying this is what we do we got to make a living and this is where we have to go so showing her this is what profe professional dress looks like this is what office environment looks like this is what talking professional on the phone looks like this is what typing an actual email with correct verbiage and vernacular looks like and um you know also letting her be herself mm -hmm. um you know she's not a um thank god she's not a very uh materialistic kid she's never asked me for stuff like jordan and uh, air max and all this stuff she wants whatever's colorful cute and you know that she feels like she looks good in it makes her happy and i've always responded to that and letting her know that um I, i've never told her um how to dress Mm -hmm. or you know what to wear I, I always let her pick out her own clothes you when we go to when we go out to eat you order for yourself you you know I'm not I'm not gonna do these things for you because I need you to know for yourself like when somebody talks to you you look them in the eye when you talk to them you know stuff like that I had to be very very conscious about all of the things I wanted her to learn and also show her because kids don't listen to you they she don't listen to nothing I say I tell her I, she don't listen to nothing I say but they watch what you do and so I had to make sure that, you know, I'm actually moving in the way that I want her to move because she's not listening to what I'm saying. She's watching what I do. So it's hard for me to tell you one thing and do another. And I've always hated to do as I say, not as I do. Ah, you know, that does not work. It didn't work for me. It's not going to work for her. So it, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff you just got to be conscious of. But I, I try to do the best that I can. And I let her know that, you know what, I might get it wrong. You know, I might get it wrong. I might screw up. But just know that my intention is for you to turn out all right. <laughs> Amen to that. You are talked about taking her to work, but you also, uh, you'll text us and say, hey, I have, yo, I'm trying to teach her entrepreneurship. So we're doing a t-shirt business. Can y'all support? What, why is it important for you to instill that type of, uh, you know, love or at least knowledge of entrepreneurship in her? What And what are you trying to get her to know from it, to learn from it? 
I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. At the beginning, it had nothing to do with entrepreneurship. It was the fact that you're not gonna spend all my money <laughs> for the rest of your life. I'm not gonna spend my retirement on you. I deserve a life. I deserve to actually do the things that I planned to do before I had, you know, that I became your mom. And so at that point, it was like, look, I wanna give you something to survive on. Like I always tell her, if I get hit by a bus today, I need you to know what to do. I need you to know what to do. And so when we started the business, it was more about having her an opportunity to say, if you want to go to college, there's a business already in place for you to, to, to pick up on and you can use this business until you figure out what you want to do. I, I was like, I'm not going to try to force you to go to college, but you can't stay in the same place. You can't stay here with me forever and I can't take care of you forever. A, you deserve your own life. You deserve to get out there, make some foul skin your knees, you know, do whatever you need to do and if you need to come back hey that's fine but i want you to have an opportunity to fly also i deserve an opportunity to fly too right now i have to come back you know to 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 the lower ground a little bit to hang out with you but i also deserve a life too so starting the business is more more or less like you know me being selfish and also teaching her like hey this is how i'm going to enable myself to be selfish by giving you your own <laughs> opportunity so but but in in all of that it was also hey i want to teach you how to to have your own money cuz the the lesson I got was get a good job and keep it. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes getting a job and keeping it break your soul. If you Listen. end up with a job that you don't like or that you're not good at, you know. And so I, I never want her to be in that position. I always told her, do something that makes you happy, but it has to sustain the lifestyle you want to live. Mm -hmm. So if you want to kick cans for, <laughs> if you like kicking cans, it better be able to pay your rent or buy you, you some go. food. <laughs> so that's that's kind of what entrepreneurship was for for me teaching her. Like, look, this is a survival thing. You know, um, I want you to have something to be able to feed yourself on. If you don't want to go to college or if you don't necessarily want a career, if you just want to work, hey, this is right. This right here will, you know, you can make some money. I love it. I love it. Okay, I got a couple more questions, then we're gonna wrap up. Um, what do you like most about being a mom? Uh, showing somebody else uh the way, you know, showing them what I mean, I was fortunate enough to um my unofficial, I won't say unofficial, but I would say my adopted sister, um, Rochelle, I was able to be around her and she's eight years older than me. And when I met Oida, who I met you through, is older than me, being around so many older and strong women that wanted to see me make it, that didn't mind teaching me stuff, didn't mind taking me in. Um, hey, I done slept on your couch, your flow, uh, you know, and, and showing them that, you know, that you can make it, you know, showing her that, hey, there's love and friendship. Life isn't as hard as it may seem. It's, it's beautiful. And just, um, I mean, more or less just sharing, sharing everything. We have a big family. And I, I try to stress that to her a lot, man. My mother had 14 brothers and sisters. My daddy had, I think, seven. And so my biological father is nine of them. So it's, it's so much family. And so just teaching her, like, the love of everybody you have around you you'll never be alone. Like, you know, so the best part about being a mom is just showing her how to be a woman, a black woman at that. I love it. I love it. What's, what do you like the least? Um, having to have those hard conversations about sex and boys and dating. <laughs> um, and, and it's dangerous, you know, mm. ha having to say, look, you know what, it's, it's going to be dangerous out here for you. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, and having to say, look, man, I, 
the most hurtful thing I have to tell her is that your body is yours. Nobody should ever have to have that conversation to be like, look, your body is your body, you know, but, but you have to because the audacity and the privilege that people tend to assume and the liberties that people assume, it's like, look, baby, your body is your body and nobody, not even me, can tell you what to do with it. So if you say, no, you don't want to do this, you don't want to wear this, I'm not going to make you, as long as you understand what happens after you say no or what, what happens after you say yes, you know, it, those, those are the hardest things about being a mom because you the first person, like whenever a daughter, the first person they look at is, you know, so-and-so's mama this and so-and-so's mama that where her mama her mama didn't teach her blah 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 yeah. you know so that's 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 the fearful thing is like you know what i i just don't want her to hurt herself you know what i'm saying or mm. to be hurt by anyone else i love it so i always ask my guests about four questions i had three and i've switched it up <laughs> this season because i'm like if i have repeat guests they're gonna answer the same question so this year i'm asking this what did 2020 teach you um take advantage of the time you have time is not that we say it as a cliche but you know what time is um of the essence and when i was at work for eight hours one of my biggest complaints about being at work was the travel time Mm -hmm. there were two hours of my day spent in my car in traffic every day and when i was at work i would always say you know what there was so much i could do at home And when I finally got home, I was like, okay, I got time. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I got time. I got time to do this. And I got so much done. You know, I, there was so much that I, I wanted to do. And it took me like the shock of us being in an actual pandemic and people dying had to set in. And when it did, you know, I was like, man, if there's no other reason for you to take advantage of this time, it's the fact that you don't know how much you got left. Right. So, you know, if anything else, 2020 taught me, look, you know what, take advantage of the time you have to talk, reach out to people, who have, reach out to you thought, okay, you know what, I need to talk to these people. You threaten to, I'm going to follow up with you or whatever. <laughs> it's like, actually reach out to those people and be meaningful in your relationships and communications with people too, because man, you know, 2020 took a lot. It, it took a lot away from us. Listen, I used to wonder and <laughs> look in the sky. It was like, is Jesus coming back today? <laughs> no lie. It got so bad. I'm like, okay. And it's like, if he is, your life is right. But it's like, have I done all that I wanted to do? And it's like, no. So what you waiting on? <laughs> you know? So I feel you. Right. You got to, you know, cherish what's important. Like you said, that hour drive to work back and forth when we need to spend more time with at least me with my family and my mama you know stuff like that so I feel you on that that's what's up okay if you won the Powerball what would you do with the money I would give a majority of it away um (laughs) yeah and it's purely selfish because um I've seen, I've seen what money can do to people. Like seriously, I've been in the financial industry since I was 18. I've seen people who have just filthy millions of dollars and what they do with their money, but I want to help other people, believe it or not. And if, you know, I can't take it with me, it's only so much you can, can do, you know, other people have better, you know, more ideas than I do. They have other problems. I think that, um, you know, so many people have so many ideas of how they can help people all of them are not with me sure i want to help people but i may not know or have the way to help people that you know how to help people. so i would enjoy them anyway i don't even want to have that much money i just want to have enough money to put my bills on auto pay and not worry <laughs> about if somebody overbilled me 
<laughs> right. And just vacation. It's like it's taken care of. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Who would you want to portray you in a movie about your life? Me, shit, but okay. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. You get no argument from me. <laughs> Celebrity or just anybody? If it's you, it's you. Anybody. If it's you, yeah. it could be you. Um, I would, you know what, first person would be me, but if I wasn't there, I would say, you know what, I want Queen Latifah to portray me. <laughs> Why Queen? Matter of fact, I need to catch up on the equalizer. Uh versatility um i I love the way that she handles her professionalism as well as her personal life it's like look i'm i'm a private person it's like it ain't your business yeah (laughs) and and she's not shy about telling people look i'm not gonna answer that question if you Mm -hmm. see me you see me if you don't you know (laughs) i like queen she can sing she's a great actress you know i think she's underrated she produces a lot of stuff a lot of these are iconic grade b movies <laughs> that we watching like <laughs> windy weaves salt pepper stuff she you know she putting them out there so i'm like right. go ahead i ain't mad at you uh what would be the same theme song for your life man that's a hard one too. <laughs> the theme song everybody gotta have a theme song something they playing when they walking down the street gas them up <laughs> you know what um I'm going to take it back to, I graduated high school in 99 mm-hmm. and I had this CD. It was a Swisher House CD. And I know, you know, you familiar with Swisher House. <laughs> Avon and MJD did a remix of Candy. That would be the theme song of my life. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to go listen to that. <laughs> you got to. Okay. I'm going to check that out and I'll add it to my playlist. Is it a good workout song? Good beat. Good yeah, beat you too. remember like Tila, Eight by MJG. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember them. I don't remember that song. I'm gonna have to go listen to. It. Probably when I put it on, be like, okay, I feel. Who, who, the Candy? Okay, so the song Candy was in the Best Man. Candy actually stripped to that song at the bachelor party. Okay, that Candy. And yeah, Eight Ball so and Jim, Eight Ball and MJG redid it. So they they sampled it. I put it like that. They sampled. It. Okay, okay, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna check it out. Well, that's it, Crystal. I appreciate you for joining me. I've learned a lot. I I just think that, oh, one last question for uh, anyone who might be, because they call it uh, foster kinship. Mm -hmm. Like, so a foster parent that's through kinship. If anybody else was going through the same or a similar experience, what advice would you have give them? Uh, Be patient. Be patient. That's one of the things that I actually, I prayed a lot about. I'm, you know, I I meditate a lot about, I try to um, find uh, my my spiritual footing is you're going to have to have something to, to soothe your soul because it will be hard because there'll be times when you, when you actually realize and not that you didn't before, but you go, you know what, I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. But once you've committed to doing it, unless it's just some extenuating circumstances, you got to see it through. So, so be, you got to be patient. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for coming. I appreciate you sharing your journey. You know, you never know who you're going to help. And some people out there going through stuff that's similar and they think they're alone or they're struggling or they're doubting themselves. And to hear your story, they might be like, you know what? I'm not alone. Somebody else has done this and they're doing it successfully. And so can I. 
and or it might be a child to hear it and it's like I'm I'm not alone you know right but someone else had to raise me too so you know doesn't mean I'm not loved and I'm not cared about you know sometimes the world says these are the people that are supposed to love you but God sometimes has a different plan and we have to accept that plan as long as we get in the right. love that we deserve and need so I thank you I appreciate you for coming and have a nice day so TKS, I want to say thank you so much to you because man, when I was in school and I was on your couch, I was on Weeda's couch and I was just trying to make it. I was dating, I was partying, I was doing everything that 20 year olds do, but y'all kept up with me. Like, you know, the, in the crazy relationships I had with little Robert, I hope he all right. Um, <laughs> I mean, everything, it was just so crazy, but y'all kept up with me and y'all, y'all let me see that like really what friendship really is. And unfortunately, a lot of times for, especially today for our young girls, they don't, they don't have that experience. There's so much competitiveness uh, with them that they don't, they're not allowed to just grow up alongside somebody and have somebody's bag, let them have yours and let them actually be themselves. Y'all let me be myself. Y'all would like, Hey, you going out too much where you going none of that <laughs> it wasn't gonna stop you so you know yeah and y'all actually when it came to school y'all was like look man you got class today uh whatever else but y'all y'all helped me and y'all love me y'all set some examples for <laughs> me like, so okay. i really appreciate that you you like where you going texas yeah, when man. you get there texas when you leave <laughs> exactly exactly and that was it and that was it you know and i mean it, it, and i needed that you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. i needed that it always i knew from the very beginning like you know being around people that were older than me would help me and you all were a part of the village and i try to make sure that i give my niece the village i mean like look man these are the people that help me i'm i'm not shy about saying i had help you know, I had help and you were part of the help TKS. Thank you so very much. <laughs> but you're welcome. Of course, it's been a journey and I, you know what? It ain't no TKS without Crystal. <laughs> I think you were there <laughs> when they started calling me that. So I just, and I appreciate you for just coming on here and sharing this because it's very personal and some people are, you know, ashamed, but I don't think anybody, even people going through the struggles of addiction should be ashamed. We all got some, we all got a story. We all got something, some type of baggage and it just helps. And again, like you said, it's the village. We, we don't get past those struggles without another person. Moses had, you know me, I'll mix the Bible with some cuss words. Moses had Aaron. <laughs> He don't get to the promised land without Aaron. So right. there's no way for us to get through this life alone. So, of course, I thank you and I appreciate you. You're welcome. <laughs>